The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Be seated. Well, it's the Christmas season, and obviously it's a big deal. Now, why is Christmas such a big deal? Um, obviously, the Christmas message is the same gospel message that Paul has been explaining the details of a depth of understanding of the gospel. Uh, the the First four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all called the Gospels because they are all about Jesus' birth, life, death, burial, resurrection. And that's the heart of the Gospel message. And that Gospel message is all about what Jesus did for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And so Paul has been explaining a lot of deeper level understanding of what happens to a person when they trust in Christ. And that in Christ has been a key concept that we have called the vital union with Christ that we have by faith in Christ. We've called it corporate solidarity where his actions affect us similar to the way Adam's actions affect all of humanity. And so Christ is the heart of the gospel. He is the the, the message of the gospel. And so what we see, Paul has been saying, is that he began the book saying, listen, I have been completely, radically transformed by the gospel. It wasn't just something I believed, he was saying. It's not just something I believed and I kind of put that aside and then I lived my life. He's saying, if you get the gospel, it changes everything. And so Paul says that my whole purpose in life is to spread the gospel. He says, I'm an apostle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he explains why. He says, because all of us were born in Adam and all of us, like Adam, sinned, were condemned for that sin and dying. And he says, that's, that's everyone. And he kind of broke that. We kind of talked about it in three categories of people as we've worked through the book of Romans. I'm kind of reviewing Romans up to where we are. He said, everyone, even... The first group he kind of talked about is like atheists who say, either say there is no God or I don't care about God. Don't tell me about God. I'm not submitting to God. Self-proclaimed atheists. He said they, they are in Adam condemned for their sin and needing to be made right with God. Then there was the moralist. That's the person who kind of judged that atheist or judges other people who says, I'm better than them. They use a standard of morality that's, that's something that they feel they can achieve. And they say, therefore, I'm okay with God because I'm better than that person. And that is a very moralistic, self-righteous, judgmental person. But they feel really good about themselves because they're better than someone else. Paul says, that person is just as guilty as the atheist and just as condemned for their sin. And then there's we are they, they are we. We've talked about that a lot. Then there's us, the religious people who go to church and try to do good deeds and, and maybe even put money in the offering plate and give a little extra at Christmas time. Oh, that's good. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying that that doesn't make you right with God. The religious person isn't made with, right with God by their religious activities. Paul says you, just like the moralist, just like the atheist, are condemned in your sin because you are born in Adam and you share in his sin just like the rest of them. And so he covers everybody. He says, you're all in the same boat. You're all condemned in your sin. We are all condemned in our sin and we need to be made right with God. And so the question is, how are you made right with God? That's the gospel. That's why Jesus came. 
God took on flesh, entered into humanity through the virgin birth of Mary, and he lived the perfect life, God in flesh, and he died the death that we deserve. He died as the substitute for, for your punishment and mine. And those who trust in what Jesus did, those alone are made right with God. He declares us right with God. He says, in, you're guaranteed that one day when you transition to the presence of God, either through death or he comes back, you will be completely made right with God inside and out. Despite your good deeds, not because of your good deeds. And so he's really made it very clear for a long time now, your good deeds are 0% of the equation of being made right with God. And then to take matters further, he talks about it in terms of the law. The law was what God gave Israel in the Mosaic Covenant. And he says, what was the law? We know what the law was. It was the regulations of God saying, here's how you experience the blessings of God. Here's how you experience the curses of God. Obey the law, you experience the blessings of God. Disobey and you will find the curse of God. And so it was the law regulated Israel's behavior. It was an external regulation of behavior. Now, Paul has been saying... You're not under the law. And so he has made it very clear. Your behavior has zero to do with being made right with God. And so when you hear that, if you have thought a time or two, well, aren't aren't people just going to go crazy when they get this message? If that thought has crossed your mind, then you are getting the message. Because that's the point is your behavior has zero to do with your righteousness with God. And so last week and this week, Paul is addressing that concern. He's saying, if if you're concerned that grace is going to lead to a license to sin, if you're thinking, preacher, you got to quit preaching grace because people are going to use that as a license to go live like the devil, Paul says, not going to happen. And then he goes, last week, he says, let me explain why it's not going to happen. And he talked about our union with Christ. He said, in Christ, you died to the power of sin. And the point last week was, you don't have to sin anymore. You have been given the power of God to overcome sin. You can say no to sin. And we leave going, that's awesome. That's good. I'm not slave to sin anymore. But it still leaves a lingering question. You can say no, but will you say no? I mean, really, I know I'm free from the power. I know I can say no, but hearing grace, 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 aren't people just going to go say yes to sin because you've told them they're free from the penalty of sin and they're guaranteed they will be free from the presence of sin and currently they're learning how to live out their freedom from the power of sin. So aren't they just going to sin all the more? Paul says, no, you don't understand your freedom that you have in Christ. And so that's where he's going to go today. We're going to have two simple points going deeper into our freedom in Christ and his point with that he's making with these two points about the nature of our freedom in Christ is this. If you are in grace, you will not abuse grace. That's what he goes with this. So first of all, let's look at the first aspect of our freedom in Christ. I'm getting this from verses 15 through 19. He says, your freedom in Christ is freedom to serve a new master. 
Think about that. He says, your freedom in Christ is actually enslavement to a new master. And that's where he goes with verses 15 through 19. Paul's point is that when a person trusts in Christ, when a person presents themselves to Christ, they're born again and their new nature in Christ is a servant or a slave to Christ. That's who they are in Christ. It's a fact. It's a reality. That's who they are if they are in Christ as they are a slave or a servant of Christ. Look at verse 16. Paul says this. He says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves, identity, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. So as a believer in Christ, you're a slave to Christ. That's who you are in Christ. You were a slave to sin in Adam. If you have placed your faith in Christ, you're a new creature and your new essence, the new identity, your new personhood is one as a slave to Christ. Look at the second part of verse 16. He says, this is everybody on the planet is covered in one of two categories. He says, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. So did you catch what Paul just did? He said, everybody's in the same boat. You're a slave. Now the question is, who are you a slave of? Whom do you belong? Are you a slave of sin or are you a slave of Christ? There's no in-between. Everyone is a slave. You and I are either slaves of sin or slaves to obedience to Christ. In Adam, we're slaves of sin. That's what we are born. If we're born again, we're slaves to Christ. In verses 17 through 18, he explains more about our union with Christ, our identity in Christ, and he explains it this way. Look at verse 17. He says, But thanks be to God, all glory to God. God is the acting agent. Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became, notice he's talking about identity, who you are. Though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Notice he didn't say you had teaching committed to you. He didn't say you just committed yourself to some teaching and so now you're doing the right thing. He's saying God committed you to a teaching. He didn't commit, commit teaching to you. So, and having been freed from sin, since you have been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. That's your identity. That's your new nature. You were a slave to sin. Now you are, if you're in Christ, a slave to righteousness. And Paul thanks God for all this because this is what God has done to us, in us, if we are in Christ. God did this in our new faith union with Christ. And so Paul is saying that upon salvation by grace, not through cleaning your act up, not through I'm going to be good enough to be made right with God, not through I'm going to do enough religious activities, but Strictly by saying, I can't do it those ways. I need to be made right with God by God through Jesus. I receive that by faith. When that happens, the Bible talks about that, about having a new heart. 
And that's the key to understanding what goes on in this text. All throughout the scriptures, the Old Testament presents the major problem is you have a bad heart. In Adam, we have the wrong kind of heart. Your heart needs to be replaced. It's a heart of stone. It does not have the law of God. It does not have God's will in it. It's out the will of God written on commandments of stone are out here. We have a, a heart of stone. We need a new heart, one that has that law written on the heart. The prophets proclaim that that's what's going to happen when Christ came. And that's what Paul is talking about. He says, if you are in Christ... You have that new heart. And what happens when you have that new heart is you then become a slave to God's will. You have God-given desires put into your heart so that you are described as one who is obedient from the heart. So this new heart produces an inward drive For obedience, an inward desire for the things of God, an inward hunger for righteousness, an inward desire to be with God's people and to know God's word and to sing God's praises and to hate the sin when it raises and rears its ugly head. How does that happen? That's just who you are in Christ. It's you're a new creature. And as a new creature, you have a new heart with new desires. That Those desires are the desires of God. And that's what produces radical change in your life. And so he says, if you're in Christ, your freedom is not freedom from any type of enslavement. And he's going to explain, I don't really care for this analogy, but he says, you're enslaved, but you're enslaved to new desires. God-given desires. Your obedience is not from external regulations. It's from internal drive that God has put in your heart. Now, it's not that you're going to do it perfect. It's not that you're going to be completely rid of temptation. But he says, you should see in your heart new desires. And those desires enslave you to the will of God. And so he says, now listen, this is an imperfect analogy in verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. I think what he means there is he's saying, listen, it's not the same kind of slavery. Slavery to sin is miserable. But it has the same idea to it that when you're in Christ and you have a new heart, it's like being enslaved because you have desires to do the things of God that you can't shake. I I remember one time having a conversation years ago with someone who was saying, basically what they were saying is, "I, I wish I didn't want the things of God. I wish I could be like everybody else who just goes and blows it off and it doesn't bother them. That's the, that's the heart of God. Those are the desires of God. Have you ever been in that place where you're like, I wish I didn't care. I wish I could just go enjoy sin. I wish I could just not worry about people who don't know the gospel. I wish I could just spend all my money on myself. But God has put desires in your heart that may even be contrary to your own fleshly desires. He's enslaved you to his desires. That's what happens when we're in Christ. When I baptized my daughter a few weeks ago, we baptized her at the age of 13. But years before that, 
I think she was a believer. The best of my knowledge, she was a believer. But what were we doing for those years? We were patiently waiting and teaching and discipling and examining. Is she enslaved to sinful desires alone? Or does she have a new enslavement, new heart desires, desiring the things of God that is producing new fruit in her life? And there finally came a point that we were both all in agreement, I think she's ready. And that's what goes on in church membership. We carefully guard membership in the church, not to be isolationist, not to be self-righteous or judgmental, but to say membership in the church is for those who have the new heart, the new desires, who want the things of God, and who are locking arms with other believers in a covenant saying, help me. Spur these desires on in me. Help me refrain from the old way of life and help me foster and live out these new desires and bring glory to God. So Paul is talking about those people who are in Christ. They're not going to go headlong into sin because they're enslaved to the new God-given desires in their heart. And so instead they will wage war with sin. So let me ask you, you're here today, it's Christmas season, you've celebrated Christmas all your life, you've probably been in church just about all your life, but is this the grounds of your reason for doing those things? Do you look at your heart, do you see new God-given desires in your heart? That's evidence that you're in Christ, not that you've Ascent, mental assent to some teachings alone. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. It's not simply that you've done good deeds and gone to a Christian church. It's much deeper than that. Are you in Christ by faith in the work of Jesus on the cross so that now God has given you a completely new and different heart and you find that heart producing godly desires In your heart. If not, then you need to do business with the Lord today. If so, then praise the Lord for doing a work in your heart through Jesus Christ. So first of all, freedom in Christ is not freedom from God or freedom from Christ or freedom from sin or freedom from serving Christ. It's freedom to serve our new master which is the God-given desires of our heart. Number two, freedom in Christ is freedom to be who God made us to be. We're understanding the nature of our freedom in Christ. First of all, it's freedom to serve Christ. Second of all, it's freedom to be who God made us to be. I get this in the second half of 19 through 23. In 19 through 23, Paul is comparing and contrasting two different enslavements. Two different slaveries, two different services that we are captivated by. Either we are enslaved in Adam or we are enslaved in Christ. And he's going to talk about the two difference, the difference of these two enslavements. And I want you to listen and examine your own heart as you hear these and do business with the Lord. Where are you? Now, first of all, there's two categories that we see in verse 15. In verse 15, he says, What then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? And so the two categories described is enslavement under law 
or enslavement under grace. He takes the one under law first. In verse 19, look what he says in verse 19 about the nature of the enslavement under the law. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and slaves to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. Now look down in verse 20 what he calls it. For you were slaves of sin. And so the first thing he says about being a slave under the law is that you're a slave to sin. You are enslaved to doing impure things and enslaved to, un- to lawlessness. Now, un- as unbelievers, many times unbelievers say, I'm not enslaved to anything. Maybe you thought that. Maybe you're here today and you think that. Why would I want to be a Christian? Why would I want to have to follow a bunch of rules and answer to a church body and And all this talk about sin, are you kidding me? Why would I want to be a part of that? I'm free. I don't obey anybody. I don't answer to anybody. I'm happy because I'm not, I'm not, I don't need that crutch. I don't need to feel good that I've met your standard. I'm not a slave to anybody. I'm my own boss. And God says, oh, wrong, wrong. That's not the case at all. He said, everyone's a slave of someone. Let me just explain. What we see is that though the unbeliever may think he is free and has no master, he is enslaved to his own desires. All of us are enslaved to our heart's desires. That's why it's so important to have the new heart. Now, for example, someone who is obsessed with this idea of I don't answer to anyone is enslaved to the desires of power and autonomy. And nobody is going to tell me what to do. Anyone threatens me and that freedom I have will bring out my righteous anger. I will worship the God of power. I will sacrifice anything that I have to make sure I obtain that God and that power that I desire. Maybe it's the God or the power or the desire for business success. We worship at the altar of success. We will lay our children and sacrifice them at the altar of success. We will sacrifice our relationship with a spouse on the altar of success. We will sacrifice enormous amounts of time and energy and resources. We will pay enormous amounts of money to schools to make sure we worship and achieve this God of success. No matter what the cost, if anything threatens it, there will be a high price to pay. No matter what, I will be successful. Is that person free? Is that person enslaved of course they are it's just they don't call it the same thing that we call it now what paul is saying is that is slavery to anything other than god and anything other than god if it's if you're enslaved to it because you worship it that's sin and so you are either enslaved to sin or you are enslaved to christ or to god in verse 20 he explains the idea of what an unbeliever is truly free from. He says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free 
but you were free in regard to righteousness. He said, oh, you have freedom. You have freedom. But when you're enslaved to sin, the only freedom you have is freedom from righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? I like to think about it in terms as closely associated with God's glory. It's all that is right and good according to God. God's righteousness is his glory and it's all that is right and good according to God. And so when you are enslaved to sin and free from righteousness, the only thing you have freedom from is God's blessed design for your life. All that is right and good and and is yours that God wants you to have is, is what you're free from. That's the only thing that you're free from. And so he says, think about that. What benefit is that freedom? Look at verse 21. He says, therefore, what benefit were you deriving from these things of which you are now ashamed for the outcome of those things is death. The unbeliever under the law enslaved to the desires of sin is free from righteousness. But the only certain benefits or the certain outcomes of such freedom is current shame and future death. He says, that's what you get. You want that freedom? That's what you're choosing. When you think you're setting yourself free from God, you're saying you are going to have certain shame in this life and death in eternal life. He says, is that really what you want? In verse 22, Paul wants us to consider vastly different outcomes between enslavement under the law, enslavement under grace, so that you will choose grace. Listen to what he says in verse 22 about believers. He says, but now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, current benefit, resulting in sanctification. That's growing holiness. That's your benefit of being enslaved to God is a growing in the righteousness, growing in the God design for your life. And the outcome, the future outcome is eternal life. So you have a clear contrast. Freedom from God is enslavement to sin and guarantees current shame in this life and eternal death to come. Freedom from sin, enslavement to Christ under grace will guarantee you current sanctification or growing in godliness or increasing in the experience of God's design for your life and certain future eternal life. So Paul gives a summary explanation. And this is a verse that 90% of you can probably quote. Romans 3, excuse me, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So under the law, what you get, what you earn, what you deserve for what you've done is wages. And the wages of sin is death. Death meaning shame in this life, separation from God eternally. But in Christ, what you get is not wages. It's not what you earn. It's not what you deserve. It's unmerited favor. It's a gift of God's grace. And what you get as a gift of God's grace by being in Christ is current 
increasing righteousness, increasing enjoyment of God's design for your life, increasing holiness, and the outcome ultimately eternal life, blessing, holiness, God's design for your life with God eternally restored. Now, which one do you want? The contrast is clear. Law, sin desires, righteousness is what you're free from. Present certainty is shame. Future certainty is death. Under grace, slavery to God's desires in your heart. Freedom from sin's penalty and power. Present certainty, growth and holiness. Future certainty, eternal life. The choice is clear. And we see this played out very clearly in the garden in Genesis 1 through 3. Think about it. It's a beautiful picture of the two choices. Adam and Eve, they were created free. Now, what was the nature of Adam and Eve's freedom? Was it freedom from God? Were they like living out on some island free from God? No rules, just do what I want to do and I'm finally happy. It's not it at all. Adam and Eve, humanity, were created free in God. And in their freedom in God, they experienced God's design for their lives, their relationship, and their enjoyment of God's earth, of His creation. They were free to enjoy all of God's blessings. As long as they did not think freedom was deciding for themselves good and evil. I don't want to have to lean on God. I want to know myself. I want to be free to decide. That's not the path to enjoyment. The path to enjoying the blessings of life was relying in and on God and His wisdom. They were free as long as they were in God. And so think about the elements that are there. They were free to enjoy life forever. They had access to eternal life, the tree of life. They were free to enjoy loving companionship, loving relationship. As long as they were right in God, they were right with one another, enjoying companionship, friendship, relationship, marriage to the fullest. The woman was free to enjoy the blessings of motherhood. The man was free to enjoy bountiful harvest of God's labor. And both were free to enjoy this amazing creation that God created. It's a beautiful design. Freedom in God is freedom to enjoy all those blessings to the fullest as God designed it. But when they sinned and they went outside of God and they said freedom is freedom from God. And they sinned. What happened? We see a reversal. Sin entered the world. They were no longer truly free. The only freedom they had was freedom from God's righteousness and His perfect plan for them. In their sin, they lost all these freedoms. Their loving relationship became one described as one of shame and of blame. Childbirth became an experience of pain. Earth was frustrated by thorns and thistles so that work became an experience of frustration and pain. Eternal life with God was lost both in the present reality and in the future. The only freedom sin brings is freedom from God's glorious plan. Jesus came to set you free from that sin and that death. For the wages... Of sin is death. 
but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this Christmas season, as we begin, I've got two questions for you to think about. Number one, are you in Christ? To answer that question, don't look at your outward activities. Look at your heart. Do you have new, surprising new desires that God is putting in your heart as a result of your union with Christ by faith alone? Do you want the things of God? Do you hate it when you sin? Do you keep fighting sin, waging war against sin, or are you just okay with it? I'm good. I'm forgiven. That's not what the Spirit of God says in a heart. Are you in Christ? Secondly, don't you want to be free to enjoy God's design for your life? That's the second question. It's very clear. Which one do you want? You want freedom from righteousness, enslavement to sin and death that it brings current shame and in a future eternal certain death separation from God? Is that what you want? Or do you want to be free from sin, enslaved to the desires that God has put you into your heart that leads you to enjoying his glorious plan for your life? Don't you want that? That's what God wants for you. That's what Christmas is all about. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that right now people who are here will be serious about doing business with you right now, that they've seen a clear contrast. We've all seen through your word, a clear contrast. Whose will we be? Will we be enslaved to sin and Satan, or will we be enslaved to obedience, righteousness in Christ? Lord, I pray we will all choose Christ today. May this be the most joyous Christmas season of our lives as we experience, begin to experience now and finally one day fully experience your God-given design for our life as it's found only in embracing Christ, the Christ of Christmas. It's in his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.